In this world, you're either good or evil. If not, then a court or a teacher or a parent is bound to tag your identity before you've had a chance to figure it out on your own. The gray middle ground, that mucus-thin terrain where most of life resides, is really only a temporary annex, like gestation or purgatory. It shadows over everyone in its vacuous and insipid cape, flying across the sky, making smoke letters out of your fears. You always know it's up there, but you never quite know how to get rid of it. It waits for you, patiently, until the day it wraps you in its cyclone and you can no longer vacillate between black and white, artist or scientist, teacher or student. It is this point at which you must choose one way of life or the other, victor or victim. And when you do, the fear drips away as seamlessly as a river drains into an ocean. For me, it happened on January 1st, 2003. My name is Noah P. Singleton. I am 35 years old and I reside in the Pennsylvania Institute for Women. My identification number is 1027-1978. I am the only child of Miss Teenage California 1970 and a week-long sperm donor whose name my mother claimed she couldn't recall. I was salutatorian for my high school, where I ran varsity track and wrote for the school newspaper, investigating the illicit and often extensive use and sale of drugs on campus. I studied biochemistry and engineering at the University of Pennsylvania and have worked as a restaurant hostess, roller rink waitress, substitute teacher, math tutor, and laboratory research assistant. I can recall with faint hyperbole the moment I took my first steps. I've had one serious boyfriend. The trial that led me to you lasted only five days, though the jury deliberated for another four. It took only a handful of additional jury pools to select the twelve individuals who were to sentence me to death five short months following my trial. Their names are now embossed in my memory, along with my grandmother's scent, mothballs and jewelry cleaner, my first boyfriend's habitual post-coital cigarette, and the feeling of the Latin letters from my high school diploma raised against my thumb. Sadly, though, my memories are starting to fade in here. Events slip off their shelves into the wrong year, and I'm not always sure that I'm putting them back in their proper home. I know the loneliness and the lack of human contact are the ostensible culprits for my memory loss, so it would be nice to talk to other inmates, at least. There are so few of us. When I arrived, there were 51 women on death row in the United States. All we needed was to drop one to have a proper beauty pageant, or add one if you wanted to include Puerto Rico and Guam. Now they tell me there are 58. And of course, of these 51, 58, 50-something women, half claim to be innocent. They're always trying to blame their crime on a phantom the phantom perpetrator who framed them, the phantom DNA evidence that vanished from the evidence locker, the phantom accomplice who was truly the megalomaniacal brains behind the operation. But the reality is there is really only one phantom who matters. The state of Pennsylvania, madam landlord to one of the most copious apparitional populations in the country. She bubble-wraps humans onto death row, rolling us out on the conveyor belt of justice as if we were nothing more than bobbleheads, 
only to let us sit forever in our single cells, with our heads wobbling to and fro, to and fro, to and fro, to fucking eternity, never allowing the stifling, nauseating shrill of motion to stop. It's almost as if that death sentence sucked the stability out of our minds, ripping out our vestibular anchors, and now everything around us, for all intents and purposes, and pardon the pun, wobbles. I can see the five silver bars three feet beyond my arm's reach. They shift into double vision as ten lines of coil, prison garments, a staff of music. I hold out my hand to observe the intersecting lifeline.